Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now that the war is through with me, I'm waking up, I cannot see that there's not much left in me. Nothing is real but pain now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast where we choose one overrated movie and one underrated movie, similar in Joan, geez, tone, (laughs) genre, it's a new word I made up, genre and tone (laughs) together, Uh, style, uh, thematic, thread, however we see fit, Uh, I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And that guy maniacally laughing 20 seconds ago, that's me, Eric McClanahan. And uh, we're just excited to be back on Mike. It's been a while since we've done a like over under episode proper. Um, okay. And we don't have an overrated, I believe, on a previous episode, not over under. But when we talked about uh, the return, we talked about kind of formatting this podcast a little bit differently. I mean, the format, I guess, is going to stay the same, but we're going to put a larger emphasis on underrated movies mm-hmm. uh, if there is an over that you know, fits and we're like, we have to do that. Um, we decided to be a little bit nicer and more positive in this world full of ugliness. Yeah, that's true. And also just the fact that I think, uh, the three of us kind of, kind of agreed that the, we enjoy this more when we're propping up movies that we think are undervalued that you all should see. So yeah. I think we're going to, we're going to put an emphasis on that. So without, uh, further ado, uh, these are Octay's picks. These are, uh, like, stark uh anti-war movies um sort of about like the the uh loss of innocence uh as well as as most of the protagonists in these movies are are young men um so the, that's a common thread here uh we'll be discussing three different movies um we're going to be talking about uh 1988's grave of the fireflies uh we're going to be talking about uh 1971's johnny got his gun by dalton trumbo based on his book and the 1985 Russian uh, war film, uh, Come and See. But we're going to start with Grave of the Fireflies. Um, so I'll just pass it over to you, Octay. Uh, why, why was uh, Grave of the Fireflies chosen as a underrated? Uh, well, basically, um, I picked it mainly because I, <laughs> I recently got a Blu-ray coffee, copy of it. And this is a film that affects me so uh deeply emotionally and wrecks me for days uh every time i watch it that every after every time i watch it i say to myself this is one of the most beautiful um elegant touching um masterpieces ever made and then the thought is followed immediately by and i will i would rather gouge my eyes out than watch it again uh (laughs) but Unfortunately or fortunately, uh, Ishio Takahata's film, which he's a uh, number two guy, guy at uh, Studio Ghibli, um, not as well known as Miyazaki, but has made some incredible films during a, an amazing career, uh, recently passed away in April. Um, 
it is such a captivatingly gorgeous uh, film about just the grimness of war and how horribly it affects innocence and youth. And uh, it's basically a film about um, uh, the ultimate um, innocent victims in war, children, and how it kind of destroys not only their the, the physical <clears throat> lives of uh, many children, but also, like, in a way, just how it affects, like, this... Um, this this beautiful innocence that they have and how that can be just completely stripped away from them in an instant. Um, uh, so I basically just, I got it on, on Blu-ray because it's one of the, probably one of the top five greatest animated films ever made, in my opinion. But at the same time, I'm like, I need some kind of a tactile reason to put this on and watch it again because I cannot uh, emotionally bring myself to do it on my own. So... I came up with the scam and uh, just pulled you pulled you two into it, just to be Son able to um, just to be able to see it again. Um, and uh, just as usual, as it always happens with me, the last uh, ten fifteen minutes of this film uh, just turns me into a, a blubbering, uh, just wreck. Of a of a human being, like I can barely breathe uh, during the, especially during the last five five ten minutes of this movie. And I think um, it's it's uh, generally it's about uh, it's based on um, the the not writer Akiyuki Nosaka's uh, very famous novel in in Japan, uh, and it's based on his experiences. Very unfortunately, uh, during the war, having to take care of uh, his sister. And uh, basically um, struggling with uh, the hunger that was uh, going on around uh, during the last days of um, World War Two, and Japan was about to lose the war, and um, resources were very, very slim, and everybody was just like kind of taking care of their own and uh, didn't care about kind of these kids who were just uh, kind of starving uh, out on the streets. And it's just like a very meticulously follows these, uh, this like uh, 12 year old boy and a, and a little, little, his little sister that he's trying to take care of. And um, it is animated, but in a way it is like a very um, grim, almost, um, almost like a near realist look at the characters, but the animation makes the emotions and the individuality of these characters. And the, uh, like, like the, the story, um, brings the realism while the animation brings the poetry and they go together, um, incredibly effectively up to a point where it's like, this is, this is one of the handful of films that I, it's very hard for me to to critically approach. Um, even if, if even if people would might even if people came up to me and said like you know uh, certain technical things about it or certain storytelling thing like there's they, they fine little faults in it or whatever. It's like it even if intellectually I might be able to agree. It's very hard for me to to dismiss the just intense uh, emotional impact uh, that this film has on me and. 
anyone i mean it's it's one of those films it's like it's people say like oh anti-war films and like the greatest anti-war films you should you should show it to people who love war or who are war hawks or who just like go into hyperbole about like oh we should bomb the shit out of these people or something like that mm. um you know like there, there there are a lot of films that people bring up that i don't think it will like actually make a difference uh but this is one of those films that i think it's you would really have to be a quite a spectacular like piece of shit not to get any kind of um uh any kind of emotion out of it uh and especially regarding like how to humanize the downtrodden and how to how these situations um basically strip children off uh, from their, their um, innocence. And that, to me, is like the biggest sin of war, biggest sin of those kinds of conflicts. And you can apply it to, um, you know, it's a film about World War II, but you can easily apply this film to the kind of border crisis that we're dealing with right now, to how, like, children are being treated and how the way that they're ripped away from their families the way that the, these two kids in Grave of the Fireflies are ripped away uh, because of uh, you know certain conflicts that doesn't that don't even like directly um, affect them is uh, heartbreaking in a way that should is this is it's just one of those films that should like open people's eyes into how um, the stripping of that innocence is, is really is like the even in in many ways, even more so than the physical destruction, is this is one of the biggest sins of uh, of war. But um, yeah, it's it's a film that um, uh, I think I think every one of us as as critics have like a handful of these films where it's like it's we kind of throw our hands up in the air and be like I can't like I can't go into this in a kind of I can't put a wall between the film and myself emotionally. Uh, I just can't do it. And it's, it's one of those films, but at the same time, it's, um, it's a masterpiece that should be seen by all. So, um, mm. it's something, it's, it's a film that I need to analyze and talk about. And, and, and I find myself needing to analyze and talk about it in many ways, even though it's, it's extremely painful for me with, with every, uh, viewing. So, um, with that diatribe, <laughs> Eric, have you, have you, um, uh, you've, you've seen this before, before mm-hmm. the most recent, and then you've seen it again very recently for the podcast. Mm-hmm. What are your, have your thoughts about it changed and what are your overall thoughts? No, I mean, that's the thing about this movie's power, I think, is that, um, it still knocked me on my ass like it did the first time. Um, this is my second time, but this, this viewing was on just at home on my TV screen. The first time I got to see it was in a theater, um, I think on a 35 mil print actually. So like, you know, very ideal circumstances. And how how the, were people at the end of it? What was the oh, reaction? As puddles, man. Like you, you it's in a theater. It was one of those movies that, um, it was admittedly one of the lower attended ones compared to the other studio Ghibli movies we had screened at the time. Uh, it, unfortunately I think it's too like dark for, for most audiences anyway. Um, that's too bad, but like the people that were there, I mean, yeah, that the ending of the movie is, is crushing as you, uh, as you mentioned. Um, but I think the power of the movie is that it has like, it is poetic. It is literal, like, um, 
it's it's uh, cinema's poetry. It definitely is that. Like, I don't think that's hyperbolic to 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 describe the movie as that. But it works on such a base entertainment. Um, maybe that's the wrong word, but emotional level. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not um, treacly or any of that. It's it's um, gut punch, uh, intense, sad. But um, I what I was really struck by on this recent viewing, um, especially was the, um, sort of abstracted, uh, way it portrays the warfare around them or essentially with the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like a nightmare of like, uh, if you, if you were to try to encapsulate in images, like maybe even a single image, what like an apocalyptic there or, are images uh, that ap- literally look like how you would imagine hell. Yes, uh, yes. Especially during and, the, the opening, uh, the, uh, during the beginning, there's that, that bombing. The bombing. Exactly. And, and the way it's, it's just, yeah. it's just, just, dra- just, um, yeah, it's just like kind of, it's hopeless. And just like life is just like sucked out of this, this city that they live in within a matter of seconds. And you mm-hmm. see it everything from the perspective of these children. And that's what makes it even more horrifying. I agree. And it's also the beauty inherent in the imagery, like the cinematicness of it all, the cinematic quality of it, like that Takahata, like really, this is his masterpiece. And I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that I've maybe seen three or four of his films, but uh, I think it's renowned as that, but it's always worth championing because I still think as an underrated movie, because people should see it and it's difficult to get yourself to, uh, to do it because it kind of has that reputation in circles of Mm -hmm. people that, that know these films, but, um, it's worth it. And I also on this viewing, um, I don't know how relevant it is, but it it was kind of interesting to think about this because it came out in 88, the same time that Akira did another now famous Japanese animated film. And Mm -hmm. they both open on like a bombing Mm -hmm. and you know, uh, that's kind of the only, I guess, connection. But I just started thinking about, man, what an exciting time in Japanese cinema, specifically animation, yeah. um, to what I would say all timer great films, uh, came out in the same year. And Studio Ghibli is known for being, you know, it's Miyazaki's place. He's sort of the guy associated with there for good reason. But yeah, you can't really front on Takahata. Um, I wanted to even give a shout out for a much lighter, fun, but still like really good movie is Pompoko is like this really weird fucking movie. He made yeah, like my, five years. My neighbors, the Yamadas or something. That was yep, funny. Yep. Uh, yep. Just last year was a tale of princess Cayuga, which was gorgeous. I, it's a beautiful I hear that's movie. good. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. So he's, he's been, he's been working for a long time and he's been kind of like number two at Ghibli. Uh, but this, this definitely is his, um, his ultimate masterpiece in the way that he's just able to just, immediately suck you in emotionally to the story from the the opening before we get to the flashbacks and even though you're kind of he does reveal what's going to happen and the kind of like hor- like just uh heartbreaking journey that you're going to go through uh oh, yeah. you're still captivated the whole time because uh first of all the animation is gorgeous and these these characters uh especially the little girl are so um, just lovable and interesting in a way that's not like this artificial cutesy like the way that kids are portrayed in a lot of Hollywood films like she is in many ways just acts like a regular like four or five year old little girl so she has temper tantrums and she doesn't understand um, 
you know, with her, with her, with her young mind, she doesn't understand why they can't have food and why they can't end that. But then, but then at the same time, she's resilient uh, in the way that she can find joy out of any kind of situation. And there's mm. there's a point where they just become homeless, and uh, the the old the older boy has to like go out and steal uh, in order to um, uh, just feed her at least something. Um, and there are certain things that he's trying to like keep like away from her because he doesn't want to ruin her innocence. And there's this um, incredibly heart wrenching film, uh, incredibly heart wrenching scene towards the middle where um, there's this moment where because he's been there, their their mother dies uh, during the bombing, and he's been trying to like keep that as a secret from the little girl. And there's this moment where he they both have to kind of like face this uh, reality and the way that it uh, rolls out is like, it's completely unpredictable yet just rings true. And it just, it just wrecks you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, I mean, that's this movie, right? Like it it destroys you, but like it for me is worth like, I'm glad I've seen it a couple of times. And I know what you were talking about, Near the top, we do all have these kind of one-time watchers or just movies that are just too much to go through, even if you love them. But um, yeah, I, I think this one is is really worth like seeking out. Um, I didn't I didn't mind watching it that second time, um, and it still is really fucking powerful, um, even when you know where it's going. So. So, 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 so the test of films like that when you talk about them, it's it's the the trick is, you know, when people you try to recommend a movie that is just um <clears throat> that is such a just intense emotional experience um that when to to people who kind of look at movies uh as um more of a for, form of escapism or entertainment and they're like I don't want to think about issues like this or um there there's 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 a, like a thin line that you have to kind of walk through when you're when you're trying to like recommend films like that that you know in many ways you want to be honest and open about like yeah this is a film that will really get to you um emotionally and one that you will not forget for a long time but at the same time um going back to Roger Ebert's uh, Roger Ebert quote of like you know cinema being an empathy empathy machine um yeah uh, if you're kind of like, you know, kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, like a certain group of people or a certain country should be uh, just bombed out of existence because you don't agree with them or because there are certain, you know, political uh, differences or anything like that. This is the kind of film that, like, I do believe it's one of those that will, like, kind of make people think twice. I don't know if I'm being too optimistic about it, but it does, like, more than any documentary any kind of report any on war or any like even realistic like gruesome images of war this is the one film that like really makes me think about the true um uh the true results of it the you know so it's it's uh it's a must-see in many ways and in and then at the, at the, at the end, I kind of get to a point where I'm just like, I just want to tell people like, just suck it up a little bit and watch it because it's amazing. 
<laughs> and it will make you a better person at the end of it. So, uh... oh, speaking of which, <laughs> Ryan, why didn't you watch this movie? <laughs> Ooh, I'm just ouch. kidding. I know ouch. that was brutal. Uh, brutal. Yeah. So brutal. Let, 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 let's test this on Ryan. Ryan, what we've been talking about so far, does it make you want to watch it more or less? No, I want to watch the movie. It's, you know, like life gets in the way and, it, you know, we had three movies to cover. Um, I, I kind of went with the other two because I especially the last one we're going to be talking about, Come and See. I had never heard of that movie before, mm-hmm. so I figured there would be a, a very meaty discussion. So I, I made an executive decision and it came down to Come and See and Grave of the Fireflies because that's all I had time to watch today uh, to go to Come and See. But what you guys are saying does not deter me from wa- wanting to watch the movie. It's been on my watch list for years. Uh, I've just never got around to it, mainly for all the reasons that you guys discussed that it is a difficult <laughs> watch, um, which, again, that doesn't bother me. It's just one of those things. It's it's very easy to put off. And uh, I yes, admittedly, blew my chance a little bit that I had this podcast recording be like, OK, I got to force myself to watch it and then somehow still shied away from it. But it's something that has been on my watch list forever and I plan on seeking uh, very soon. So. Um, right, we just, to, just uh, oh, go ahead. oh, we we definitely can. I was just gonna say it just came down to time. It didn't come down to like oh, this is too difficult. It just came down to time, unfortunately. Um, okay. But yeah, that's, just, go that's go ahead. Far Eric. more explanation than is needed. I was just giving. <laughs> <a shit. laughs> I don't care. Uh, I, but, I, it's fair enough. Fair enough. But so yeah, with that, uh, as Octave was hinting, we could swing over to our second film, which is uh, Johnny got his gun. What's he saying? He says, kill me. Over and over again, kill me. Tell him we'll do everything we can to make him comfortable. For now, he needs rest. Tell him we'll give him a sedative and come back later. The 1971 Dalton Trumbo film uh, based on his own book um, about a young man who loses his basically everything except his mind um, in a landmine accident, uh, arms, legs. Um, If you're familiar with the Metallica song one, it is based on this movie. So if you've heard those lyrics, that's, that's basically based on this movie, but um, I was, I was, I was predicting 20 seconds before we got to that reference. You were predicting 20 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, because that's the thing that most people know about that movie. It's true. That is very, very true. Um, but um, I, I've actually, I actually read the book uh, in high school or mm. late middle school, early high school. But uh, but we can definitely dive into that. But it's your oh, pick. I so to. I wanna, I've never read the book. I want to. I want to kick it over to you. Um, why did you choose uh, Johnny Got His Gun as an underrated pick? Uh, it's it's the kind of anti-war movie that fans of surrealist um, cinema. I think would really appreciate and this is this is a really bizarre very kind of European art house minded anti-war film but it's very squarely placed in this like American ideal of what war patriotism and heroism means so it's like a great little um synergy of those uh kind of sensibilities uh but yeah the the whole the whole plot the whole premise is is very simple and very disturbing uh it's about um world war 1 uh soldier who uh uh steps on a uh, mine right and um 
half of his body is just blown off. Uh, he can't... Um, his eyes are gone. He can't talk. He can't hear. And he can't move. So he's just basically in this, like, living hell situation while all these other, like, kind of... Um, doctors and nurses around him are kind of investigating him and they think that he's basically in kind of like a comatose situation where he can't even feel or register anything that's going on but at the audience as as the audience we are privy to his inner thoughts and he is completely aware and completely awake and conscious uh every living moment um which in many ways almost turns this into like a very um unusual type of horror movie because it's 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 horrific what's what's going on with him but um it just gradually kind of dives into his dreams his thoughts and he kind of like creates his own universe within his his own mind and uh we get the the real scenes with him just blown up in the bed are have this like really stark black and white photography but his fantasy sequences and his dreams and once we get into his mind are um are almost very colorful exuberant surreal um you know sometimes you feel you think you're watching like a pretty standard kind of like flashback <clears throat> scene but then it becomes self-aware <laughs> and the characters start like referencing his him in the real world uh like laying on the bed not being able to kind of communicate or do anything with anyone and um and it kind of like gradually starts to create this theme of how especially the american ideal of of war and heroism and patriotism and how how just people just do not want to see the actual horrific results of war and it just kind of like gradually turns into like he starts figuring out ways to like communicate pe- with people in the outside world and how it's it's just like it kind of starts turning into um you know we can't let people see this kid because it will horrify everybody and uh it will kind of diminish the war effort and um so it deals with all these issues it's it it goes into like really kind of clever uh ways of um dealing with what it is basically to be a martyr for your country and does it really mean anything have you actually like wasted a life there's this beautiful scene with uh Donald Sutherland as as Jesus where they talk about what they sacrificed why they died so young and uh everybody kind of all these like dead soldiers kind of give their two cents before Jesus does and it's uh it's a really unique really kind of um hypnotizing is the right word i think film um uh, but anyway what do you guys um let's start with ryan since um we didn't yes. really get you to get to your last one uh ryan what are your thoughts on the film and how it relates to the book even uh how it relates to the book i mean i think it relates pretty damn well i mean the only difference is um it, you know i mean i guess the movie's still all from his perspective but like even in the um the flat like flashbacks slash surrealist sequences you get you know you get his inner monologue throughout it um so obviously you get his narration which we still get in those stark black and white scenes as well um 
but uh, I, I, it follows the book pretty well. Um, but it is it still film feels like a difficult book to adapt, um, even though it is Trumbo's own book. Um, and I was I was reminded of a couple movies. A the first one when it ended. I, I immediately I was like I see why Octave loves this movie because it reminded me of Slaughterhouse Five almost. Yep. Oh my gosh! I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> the, the, the structure, the sort of the surrealist size, surrealist structure. Yes. Yep. yep. I'm like this. This is a hundred percent. Which Slaughterhouse Five, also known as a very unfilmable novel, so mm-hmm. the, it's interesting that it fits together. Um, I o- thought also of, an absurdist, angry retaliation against the concept of war. So they're, they're very similar in that way. Right. Uh, I, I thought of 127 hours as well, just from the standpoint of like, uh, uh, yeah. uh, it'd be interesting if it was like, like an, an avant-garde, like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it is kind of avant-garde regardless, but like just, just focused on him, fixated on mm-hmm. him. Like none of the flashbacks, none of the stuff to take you out of it. But it like reminded me of 127 hours in that standpoint that like, oh, we do cut away from the the like situation that the person's in. Mm-hmm. And then this seems strange, the strange comparison, but it reminded me of Molly's game in the standpoint of a renowned <laughs> screenwriter stepping into the director's chair and not knowing that there should be things that probably could be cut from the movie mm-hmm. uh, from I their can, own script. I can concede to that, yeah. So I, I, I guess overall... Long roundabout way of it's saying it's not super like, long though. It's not it's like not two and a half long. hours like Molly's game. No, you oh god, no, 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 no. But it definitely I, I don't know. I feel like the movie could have been like ninety minutes and get its point across like very, very impactful. Um yeah. to be honest. But um I, I think it's good regard like I, I think the sequences are it's still an interesting way to do a war movie. Like I've never seen one like that. Um, we should also mention that Boonewell did like an uncredited rewrite on the movie. So mm. there, yeah, he, like, he wrote the, this. he wrote the Jesus scenes. Oh, was it the Jesus scenes? And, or and, I thought and, he did. And it's perfect because that, he, 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 um, it's kind of like if Boonewell was an American director, this is the kind of movie that he would make. Oh, mm-hmm. totally. I, I definitely see that. So I, I, uh, I, it's one of those I kind of like petered back and forth between the movie. Um, like I like the stark sort of uh, juxtaposition of the dream sequences slash flashbacks with the situations he's in. I think that stuff's effective. It's a little messy, but it's it's still effective. Um, but I just I, I there there were moments where I was like, OK, I, I I'm getting it like I'm mm-hmm. getting the message of the movie. We could probably trim this, but um yeah, I think, I mean, overall, I think it's a solid movie for sure. Um, and I think people should seek it out. And uh, I mean, yeah, like, even, that, I think... even if people aren't going to think it's a masterpiece or anything or aren't going to like just. Uh, and I don't even know if, if personally I think it's it's a great film, but it's it's a film unlike any I've ever seen before. Or like it's it's a very unique film. And uh, especially people who are like seeking out like the kind of stuff that they've really never seen before it's it's uh i think it's 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 kind of up there but uh eric what is your was this the first time you've seen it this is my first time yeah so uh ryan i'm i'm really glad you brought up slaughterhouse five because i couldn't help but think of that movie as well and for those of you who might have been listening at the time i don't know if you guys remember we talked about Slaughterhouse Five on this yeah, podcast. It was a, I, 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 I didn't. That's underrated too. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't like that movie very much. Yeah, uh, if you guys remember, 
And I got to say, uh, I think I liked this one even less. So I'm sorry to put Octane into a position where he's almost going to have to defend this thing. But uh, I will start with some of the things that I did like about it. Uh, there's a scene in this movie in one of the flashbacks. Uh, Jason Robards plays the um, the wounded soldier's father. Uh, I love Jason Robards. Great actor. Um, there's a scene, there's this whole built up almost mythology about his fishing pole, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, in a in a flashback, we find out what he did. He broke his father's. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. He lost his father's fishing pole. This like prized thing. Um, and why I bring this up is partially because it's like both what's good and sort of what I found sort of maudlin and like over over the top for me about this movie is the buildup of this fishing pole is like, uh, like this movie has to, um, uh, this movie has to tell more than it shows, but maybe, uh, uh, but hold on, I'm going to, I'm going to save that, but I want to focus on the specific scene that I really liked is, uh, the son, Joe, he loses, we find out what happened. He lost the fishing pole and it was this thing where he was really devastated over losing his father's fishing pole. Uh, and in that scene, it happens. They're camping. He goes to tell his father in the middle of the night. He's just been like reluctant to do that. And I think anybody that had like a good relationship with their dad could probably relate to that scene. And I, I just like was really moved by this like three minute moment where he confesses to his dad that he lost it. He's in the tent laying on like a cot mm-hmm. with his father. And Jason Robards doesn't really say anything. He's clearly upset, but he rolls over and he like spoons with his son. And I got to say, I don't know if I've ever how many movies show two men, let alone a father and a son spooning. And it's not supposed to be weird at all. It's actually a very loving, beautiful moving moment. Um, so uh, I, this is a very small moment in the movie. But like I was like really moved in that three to five minute kind of sequence. Hmm. But again, as I was sort of referencing, like the, a lot of the other stuff of the movie is like to build up this fishing pole. Jason Robards has a scene prior to the one I just described where he kind of like has to literalize what he's doing, like his character, or he sort of says in his dialogue, like character traits that have to do with like not having money, but having this fishing pole, some prize thing. And I feel like that's sort of representative of a lot of the issues I have with the movie is like, there's an obvious need for voiceover in this movie. And I just think it's kind of like, um, I don't know, sort of goofily presented. And mm-hmm. actually, I think I think the lead actor, he's the uh, Tim Bottoms. He was mm-hmm. in Last Picture Show and mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff. It's just sort of like odd, the tone he struck in his reading. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I, I have issues with the movie. I don't think it's bad, but I was just sort of like, I don't know. I thought this felt like, as a, Ryan put it really well, I kind of want to like glom onto what he's saying of like, it feels like a, it does feel like what it is, a writer getting their first chance to direct. And it has like writerly aspects to it, but I think that fails it in terms of making it cinematic. And for a comparison, a movie that's clearly indebted to this one, I don't think it could exist without it. But I also thought of The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And yeah, I was going to bring that, that up because it's, it's that very similar finds, in concept. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that movie couldn't exist without Johnny Got His Gun, so I'll, I'll credit that. But I think the Diving Bell and Butterfly is like makes that story cinematic, and that is, in my opinion, not the case with this one. So, um, you know, a mixed bag for me. But like, like I said, hey, for that Robard spooning his son scene, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, like that that moved me. Like I thought that was really beautiful, and um, 
you know, sometimes that's enough. That's that's enough. And uh, I'm glad I saw it if for nothing else than to see a father and son spoon in cinema. <laughs> you know, we need more of that. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great scene. And it's um, yeah, I think that's I, I yeah, like you basically reiterated what I had said that it's the biggest thing uh, I, I had the issue with. Like, I think I liked it a little bit more, but it does feel a little less cinematic because the, the writers kind of. Trumbo is very like beholden to what he has put on the page. And so like all of that has to make the movie in his eyes. Uh, whereas, you know, it's, it's part of adapting. It's part of actually like making it cinematic. And, maybe, and that's, that's... Um, well, I mean, I think, I think number one, maybe because I, I kind of don't even notice those flaws because I think the, the writing uh, is great and it's just, it's, it just feels so kind of the, the, the second. I think maybe the, the the pacing issues and the way that it's kind of like scatter shot. Also, um, to me at least, it fits into the kind of chaotic way that a mind in that kind of situation could work. I mean, right. it's a fever dream for it's sure. A fever, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 kind of it kind of operates on this like kind of absurdist dream logic, uh, while also kind of firmly planted in this like horrific reality, um, and that's why I love the contrast between the stark black and white real scenes and the uh, the kind of dream scenes where we kind of enter his mind. Um, uh, mainly because yeah, the 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 voiceover while you know we're kind of privy to like what he's thinking while everybody's around like it's just i just i just find it to be so kind of um uh just kind of very sad and anxious in in many ways it's like just just puts you into the mental space of someone who might be in that situation and it's just like it's very uh i find that to be very effective but like if you don't get into it it, i could see how it could be very grating because the voiceover just like the thoughts of a person who might be in that situation and that kind of panic just doesn't stop it's it's right it's it's non-stop so so cinematically if you get kind of like annoyed by that then that's not going to go away for the rest of the movie um (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the the thing about its pacing that that I don't mind. I think it's a it's a good length mainly because I look at it as like the kind of fragmented, chaotic mind space of this character that we are we're, we're kind of entering. And some things are like some scenes go on uh, for a while. Some scenes are maybe shorter than they're supposed to be. There's passage of time that you can't even figure out you think that maybe like a couple of days have passed when you then you realize that it's been like a whole year yeah that's um, a nightmare Jeez. yeah it's like so that all that stuff i think it just like brings about like perfectly but yeah as, as far as like a more traditional um kind of pacing of a film like this goes yeah and and also you know i'm, I'm definitely not gonna um claim that like uh a kind of uh, uh, a writer like Dalton Trumbo, who was, you know, known for being in love with his uh, writing. Uh, I'm not going to claim that, like, he, you know, another director, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I agree with Ryan that, like, that 
the some of the scenes going on for too long perhaps might have definitely have something to do with um Trumbo's like personality of like I'm not cutting shit like this is my <laughs> this is my work and like he was he was like notoriously like very very cranky about stuff like that so um mm. so it, it it fits his personality I guess uh, uh maybe another director could have made it more cinematic could have cut out a couple of stuff but it wouldn't but then I don't think it would have would have been this weird and unique in many ways so I I I appreciate it even if I accept um those kinds of like faults that you would usually find in films where not only the screenwriter but a novelist gets to make his first movie uh so you get those like two two elements working against him there but but because of the subject matter i think it it fits and not only that it just makes it like such a kind of original and unique anti-war film that doesn't really i don't think it has anything like it in film history i can't even think of one i mean it certainly is unique and um if nothing else i'm i'm glad i watched it for sure i'm glad to have like you know i've read the book so now i could say i've seen the movie and um yeah thank you for picking it but speaking of something uh that is cinematic and has surrealist sides yes <laughs> do, do we do want to swing into our third movie I think Eric can't take it anymore. So <laughs> Eric salivating over there. Like I've never heard. I've never heard anybody salivate so hard to talk about such a bummer of a movie. But oh, he's man. over there, just like he's like, I can't wait. I can't wait to do it. Um, so, so I guess we're not going to belabor that point. Um, so the third movie is uh, we watched is Come and See, uh, 1985, uh, directed by Elam Klemoff. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, I have no idea. My wife's yeah, right. and I'm Cl- not. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Close enough. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to go with that. Elam Klimov, uh, Come and See, 1985, uh, Russian war movie, uh, World War II film from the Soviet perspective, something that um, I, I don't think had been done prior to this. Um, I mean, there are many Soviet sense. films like uh, Cranes Are Flying or whatever. That, that, But this is the one that's like more generally internationally known for good reason. Yeah, we could yeah, we could definitely get into that. Though I personally I had never heard of this movie uh until you had um decided to pick it. So um so I'll once again pass it over to you. Why did you choose Come and See as a as an underrated uh, war film? Well, I'm going to be very intellectual with my reaction. Um that but <laughs> holy fuck this movie, man. That's, that's just, <laughs> Seriously. My god. Um you know like like sometimes you will like talk to uh, talk about certain films with your film buff friends, and why you're just like, man, this movie is like is gonna wreck you. It's it's like unrelentingly grim. Like you you use terms like that, and then um and then basically this movie comes along and it says unrelentingly grim is for pussies, and uh, <laughs> just kind of like uh, piles on one um, atrocity that <clears throat> man can do against man after the other and it's an incredibly kind of in your face uh gritty i don't think is a like strong enough word but like yeah it's it's very very kind of grim and in your face about the um 
like the, the the true realities of war uh told from the point of view of this like young russian boy in a small from a small village and uh, of course it, i mean it kind of follows the the, the fairly typical anti-war movie mold of like you know he's excited about the war at the beginning and then gradually he becomes disillusioned but that disillusionment kind of is taken to such extreme levels that it just basically life becomes a living hell for this kid and uh there isn't anything in this movie that kind of tries to give you any sort of levity uh escapism uh any kind of you know, it's just like grim, in-your-face war and how it basically, like, destroys people, destroys lives and how how incredibly horrendous it is. And it is very, very matter-of-fact about it. Um, in a way that even the, whatever, like, just off the top of your head while you're listening to this episode, just think of, like, the most, like... Um, just like incredibly like traumatizing like war movie experience you can think of this movie will top that by tenfold so uh but it is also a uh an amazing cinematic experience that just grips you for a minute one and refuses to let go until the very end and uh it's a film which you know, it's sometimes we talk about like tonal discrepancies in films where it's like it starts off as something and tries to be something else at the very end or something. And this is a very incredibly realistic film, but it just takes this like one kind of poetic move at the very end and it's perfect. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so um, let me open it up to Eric is dying over there. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on Go Come and See? Uh, yeah, yeah. I echo much of what you said. I, I think I personally try to use this word lightly. I, I think it's a masterpiece. I, I, I've watched it a couple times now myself. Um, and this it's like you said, holy fuck this movie. Like I, yes, it's a supreme bummer and it's, these are, it's the kind of film that is almost like a, like it requires a warning to people when you recommend it to them. But like, I love something that gives you an immersive experience and uses every single tool at the disposal of a director to make something cinematic. Um, and it does it in probably my favorite. St- it's, it's yeah. It, it does oh, it yeah. To like to just shake you awake and be like, this Absolutely. is what happens. And it's uh, my, it's one of the great examples that I've seen of subjective cinema of how it really like a book does that in its own way. That's very powerful where you feel and see and know the thoughts of a character, but cinema can do it in the way that come and see is just a full on display of, of like how you can not only you can like feel what it's like to have been there. And it's like a walking nightmare, this movie, but I, um, the reason I can want to watch it again and again and be excited to talk about it is because it's, cinematic it's art and it's also got like um uh, uh a pace to it that even though it's like two hours 20 minutes like it is relentless and it is exhausting but also like i was never i'm never taken out of the picture even as it just continues to yeah, double triple like quadruple down you. on on all of it yeah it's, it's almost like it doesn't allow you to be distracted yeah so yeah Ryan, so Ryan, and, you, uh oh, i want to see i want to 
No, go ahead. Go, well, real quick, before we passed around, I was just some things that I think this movie is deeply influential to is a lot of things. Uh, to clearly, Saving Private Ryan has borrowed elements of this movie. Um, Dunkirk, uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, mm-hmm. I thought oh, of. Yeah. Uh, Mother, the Darren Aronofsky movie, the sort of insanity that happens near the end of this movie. There's like a 30-minute climactic sequence that is horrific and multi-staged and just this choreography of like insanity that that reminded me of mother but um yeah this movie's influence runs deep and uh also if anybody has ever heard or um read the book the painted bird by jersey kaczynski who's the author of like being there um Mm -hmm. uh the Painted Bird, this movie is like that book brought to life. And if anybody knows that book, that book is a fucking nightmare. It's mm-hmm. And it's very similar. It's about a boy lost in, I think, Polish village it, around the same time in World War II. And he just confronts atrocity after atrocity. And it's um, it's brutal, but like, holy shit, it's a nightmare that apparently I don't mind spending time in. Because, uh, yeah, I, lo- I love this movie. I, think I, this movie I would is- also say uh, Son of Saul is a... Uh, oh great um, yep inspiration i think yeah i think so too yep absolutely good call so yeah i i I love this movie but um i want to know i want to know how ryan feels about it so so ryan Uh, how much did we fuck up your day by making you watch this uh (laughs) i mean it didn't it didn't fuck my day up i was mostly i i almost felt bad more for the movie itself because while i dearly loved it i'm just like tired and coming right off work and so i'm just like "Ah, i feel like i I could have given it a little bit more of my attention because um, it did take me a little bit to to get on this movie's wavelength and kind of find the footing. But when I when I finally realized what it was doing and how well it puts you in the perspective of a character. And as Eric said, subjective cinema at its finest, you know, it's like everything we're seeing is specifically from either the character's actual perspective or from their mental perspective. So yeah. In that instance, I like I thought that was pretty like flawless and phenomenal. And I, you know, and Octa, you warned us ahead of time, like you're like, oh, this movie's a bummer. And it is, but it wasn't quite in the way that I was expecting. I mean, I heard mm-hmm. I hear Russian war film. I'm, I'm thinking like it's going to be like Andre uh, Zavagiskov, like it's going to be like <laughs> yeah. that type mm-hmm. of like slow like takes and just like a, just a relent like a relentless sort of like slow bummer. Nope, um, not in the and here <laughs> and not here. No, it it like picked up right away. Though I have one. It's not even a knock on the movie itself, but I, I, Eric, I saw your letterbox review. Where did you watch a decent HD copy of this? I'm uh, curious. I will admit I've torrented it off a site that's like a private torrent site that. Okay. Uh, uh, so there are apparently Japanese and Russian Blu-rays in existence, but I mm-hmm. think that must have the torrent I got must have been from that, uh, knowing the site that I'm a part of, uh, that that they would have this. And then I think someone made their own new subtitles for it because those Blu-rays, by all accounts, are not English subtitled. So sure. point yeah. being very hard to see a good version of this movie, but um, yeah, it is the, on Filmstruck, the, though. I the think. Filmstruck copy is not does not look good either. I think it's from the it's same like master. DVD. Yeah, same yeah. master as the four by three aspect ratio. Yep. DVD, I rented it on uh, Voodoo. That is the correct the aspect same. ratio of the of the movie. It is yeah, one three seven. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, it's it's the the correct aspect ratio, but it's like the the transfers that itself is like the colors are kind yeah, of blending really together. It's, it's, yeah, it's very muted. It doesn't really look good. It just looks like a standard definition transfer to a 
upscaled to like HD or something, and it's it it's looks just, yeah bad, which is a shame because like I yep, I that's too bad. I, hearing Eric, hearing you describe it, and I saw like the uh, photos on IMDb, and I'm like, oh wow, that looks incredible. That is not my my transfer. There were moments I I shit you not in this transfer, and again, this is not the movie's fault. This is just the garbage transfer that I had to deal with. Here. <laughs> but there were moments where I'm like. Is this shot on video? Is this an yeah. SOV movie? Oh, like, yeah. it's it's that bad a transfer. So that sucks. So it's like the movie. So power credit and power to the movie for being as immersive and like harrowing as it is. That I was still on board the movie, even though the copy I watched looked very very subpar. Yeah, I think it's still worth it. I mean, I did watch it on uh, Filmstruck twice, and uh, yeah, just just getting through that that transfer, I would love to just get my hands on like a uh, a really good Blu-ray transfer, and hopefully it will happen sometime in the states. I don't know. Yeah, how is like Criterion uh, or or Kino Warber or somebody (laughs) not like pick this title up? That's that's insane. Seriously, it's 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 well, if it's on. If it's on Filmstruck, that I, th- I think that implies at the least that Janice has it. And maybe it's only a matter of time. They put out Tarkovsky's Stalker recently. You know, like it's some- incredible. It that does. It looks mm-hmm. so good. Oh, it looks incredible. So maybe it might be. Who knows? It, there's probably so much. That, that is one of those things on a side note that I'd love to know how those Criterion deals work, because there's so many things that seem like, why hasn't this happened yet? But there's probably all kinds of copyright. And also, I wonder if it's just a practical like there aren't many good prints or hopefully the original negative of come and see is in good condition. But I heard that there, there are, I mean, the version I've seen the torrent that I, that I have is it looks good. Like it looks good on my, whatever uh, transfer from a, an actual print of the movie would look a hundred times better than what's out there in the States. Uh, Even if you don't go into like a brand new, like 4k restoration from the, the negative or anything like the criterion type, you know, just the regular, like, like, you know, it's like Ryan uh, brought up like Kino or something. Like if they just did yeah. like a, it would still look way better. If they just went to the inner positive, even I would yeah. like, I would accept that <laughs> over yeah. what we currently have. That's yeah. That, it's, it's kind of a travesty like that. This, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really happy that we have a, a opportunity in the States to be able to watch it. But yeah, it's kind of a travesty how, bad the copies of this film are uh, around here but yeah go go going back to the film itself i mean i just i really adore um how everything is from the perspective of this kid every single moment and that's why i brought up like apart from the subject matter and the grimness in which it approaches it that's why i kind of brought up like son of saul because it's like that kind of an experience where it's like if you if the kid it's almost like if the kid doesn't see it it it's almost you're not like um, you're not experiencing it yourself. And there are certain like very, very quick moments where you see things from other characters perspective that yep. are kind of like made to be just um, just snap you out of the fantasy world that this kid almost exists in during the beginning of the film. Like there's just one very quick moment where he go, comes back to the village and sees, sees that everybody's gone and he thinks that like they they just left because the oh, enemy man. was approaching or whatever and he's with this girl and they're both just like running away and there's this one like split second shot where the girl looks back and sees that uh, this image that the boy didn't see where it's like a pile of bodies the entire village just killed yep. uh, and it just takes one second and you just see it and it's almost like it's so quick it's almost you're, you're almost like 
you're almost in the kid's mind space. You're like, did did that happen? Was that real? Or is the kid right? Is like, is his family and his villagers and the people that all the people that he grew up with are they okay? And you know, like, and I I hear uh, stories like that about. For example, like my wife is Russian Jewish, and she talks about like how her grandmother was uh, uh, kind of smuggled and taken care of by like non-Jewish Russians, and escaped out of their village. And when they were able to like these siblings, they were able to get back to the village and found out that the entire village has been murdered, just gone. Yeah. And just the the kind of like mental anguish that could that could put on a person uh is just there's nothing in this film that like it's almost even in like the most like kind of grim war movies that you can think of uh there are always kind of like tricks to like kind of ease up on the audience a little bit like there's they you know you use cutaways you don't really like kind of like point to camera at the most gruesome detail of like some kind of atrocity that is going on uh, you imply certain things and the audience's imagination stuff like that, and this is a film that just like just doesn't employ any of those tricks. It's it's all completely in your face, and that's why the title is like so. Perfect. Oh man, uh, yeah. <laughs> but what yeah, a brutal like, irony that title. Yeah. Yeah, like like the like the scenes like that where the you know the entire village is is killed and. Um, and this kid just like slides further and further into his own personal hell and the idealism of the beginning just like slowly from his perspective just turns into this like this horrible inescapable uh reality of just basically people doing indescribable things to one another and it climaxes uh, and we can get into the scene a little bit because it is like as far as like the most kind of captivating amazingly executed single sequences in film history are concerned i think the last 30 minutes of this film should be kind of nominated for something like that because it is just um relentless uh but it's a it's a it it gets the the climax the 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 third act pretty much uh no plot no dialogue it just like kind of depicts like this kid ends up in this village that takes him in and all these other kind of like stranded villagers uh, takes them in and starts taking care of them. And there's this like minor bit of minor, tiny little second where you think like maybe things are going to be okay. But then of course the Nazis show up and um, the last 30 minutes of this film just turns into this like almost um, matter of factly meticulous uh, representation of a genocide. Uh, you know, they put all these the men, women, children into a barn and start burning. And like the way, I, like like I mentioned, like other filmmakers maybe would have used like cutaways, or they would have implied it, or they would just like show. They just cut away to the burning building. Just cut thirty minutes into the future, like and just like get away with all the, like screaming kids and women and people that would like you know just don't show any of that stuff and this is a film that like that almost shows you the genocide taking place in real time Mm. and it is like it is unrelentlessly methodical about it which is what makes it so emotionally gripping and horrifying yeah there's nothing like really 
artificially kind of like it doesn't try to make you hate the nazis it doesn't try to make you you know it just like shows you like this is the kind of shit that happened all the time during world war ii and it you know keeps happening all around the world yeah it's like matter of fact surrealness to it like that's that's just it's like mind-blowing how far the movie takes it but i i think like it's like such a skilled directorial hand by Klimov. Like he pushes things really far, but I do think there is that balance in the few moments, even you describe Octave when we go away from the main character, I think his name is Floria. When we go away from his perspective, it's as unrelenting for everybody else too. So even when it's supposed to be a respite because we are in this one character's perspective for most of the movie, it's, it's not. And I don't know. The movie has such a power to it. It, it, I think even like directors like Wes Anderson might be somewhat influenced by a film like this. And in terms of that finale, I know that might seem weird, but like you think how busy his frames are. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's become more obsessed with that. I'd even say like, especially with like Life Aquatic and everything since, there will be these like elaborate camera moves with mm-hmm. all his choreography, you know, like Moonrise. All these movies have them. And th- that is this uh, at the end of Come and See, but it's just like, it's just like a half an hour sequence. And to me, it never wore me down too much. It wore me down in the right way, the effective way, because of that perspective. And the use of close-ups in this movie are like characters looking at the camera in a really confrontational way. The use of like steady cam and like there's even like split diopter shots that I think look better yes. than even, like Brian De Palma movies. Yeah. The split diopter shots are just like I'm so this movie is harrowing and very powerful as an anti-war statement. It has all that uh, importance to it, but it, it, I admit I geek out when I watch this movie and I don't know if that's inappropriate. I just mean <laughs> on a cinematic level, like the way he conveys the nightmare, I appreciate. And I can go on that ride again and again um, with something like this. Cause I was just like, it's uh, Octave said a perfect, Holy fuck this movie. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of w- what I love about it's well, what well, movies can do that. Nothing well, else. Well, can. It's technical prowess is, is why it's so emotionally effective. Uh, so it, I think it, it makes perfect sense to like appreciate all that stuff, which I do as well when I watch it and I love like the, the the editing that it uses also just to show the like just almost absurdist contrast between just children screaming because they're being burned alive and then he just cuts away to uh, the Nazi commander with his monkey. Yeah, just playing yeah. around like as if they're out or when they take the photo, they stage the photo with Floria. And the, it's just like this surreal moment where he after everything he's been through, you know, there's like four Nazis doing a photo. It's just these weird nightmarish asides that are happening everywhere. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So it, <laughs> it really... doesn't like it just it makes it even more harrowing to see that like uh, it's it's different when it's when there's like a certain grimness all around it. But then when you put in like how much uh, the people who are uh, executing this atrocity, how much they treat it with levity uh, makes it even more harrowing. And it's not done in this kind of like melodramatic way that a lot of like war movies can fall into to turn them into like kind of mustache twirling villains. But like, it's just like, it's almost like they treat it as like uh, just a day at work. Uh, so it, it it has that kind of like, uh, that kind of contradiction to it that just, just makes whatever you see the editing in this film, uh, it just works, uh, does a number kind of on your mind. 
the banality of evil thing. Yeah, like exactly. writ large. And it, yeah. And it's one of the film it's very hard to really capture that. It's one of those handful of handfuls of films that really manages to capture the real banality of evil without turning it into a melodrama. Um, but yeah, Ryan, what what are your thoughts on the last like 25, 30 minutes of the film? I mean, I don't think I have anything more to add other than like what you two already said of holy fuck this movie. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, like that I saw like a like I don't even want to say it because people should just like see it. Uh, but there, there's one image in particular um, and involves somebody going through a window. I'll just say it. Oh, my and, gosh. And, and yes. I was like. What did I just see? What it's just real? Happened? What you're seeing? <laughs> I know, I know, it's awful. But like, it's it, again, like I, I'm with you on that standpoint, Eric. Where it's like I geek out over like the technical shit in this movie, while also being in horror of the things that I'm watching on screen. Like, it's it's a really strange experience in that way. But um, no, I I think like it's 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 incredible. It ends in such a like the stamp is just like there's not a false note played in this movie. Like everything is played. Let, let, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What are your thoughts on the, 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 the sequence at the very, very end, which is the one point I think it, uh, where he looks at the Hitler yeah. photo or yeah, the painting where, or whatever, where it kind of takes like some, I don't want to say poetic license. Cause it's not something that actually happens, but, um, uh, where it, uh, dives into a little bit of like more of a, uh, creative poetic, poetic, um, I thought, you know what I thought of is it was almost like that idea of time travel stories where they say, would you kill Hitler if you Mm -hmm. could go back in the past? That's what it evoked for me personally. But I think it's a really, uh, and I will say this on this repeat viewing it, that ending worked a lot better for me. It seemed jarring the first time I saw it because I I was just like, how are you going to end this movie? But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I appreciate it much more this time because I think there's a lot of layers to it there where, he wants to essentially rewind all this evil, but he can't. And the movie has a very sort of like ultimately tragic thing of like how it all gets passed on, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's the horror of this kid's story is he, he's like a little like helpless um, kid in the beginning of the movie. And he looks like a seasoned old grizzled like man at the end. And it's so sad. His, the image on his face that like, there's nothing he can do about it. So there's like, it, it, it feels like it's, it's layering on a lot of the anger and the feeling that of helplessness that, that has overcome that and, character. And but I think it's it, obvious yeah. that the, that anger will beget more violence. And then it just turns yeah. into a cycle of Cause, like, cause what do they do at the end? They walk into the woods, the, the troops mm-hmm. that are still alive. He's, he is made it at the end, but it's like, you'd almost rather be dead after that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how strong I would be or weak I would be, but this kid goes through such an, I mean, it's like superhuman circumstances, but I never doubt it because it's just like, it's this, it's that's, uh, this kid is just stuck in this nightmare. So yeah, it's, it is one of those also like almost like a quasi revenge story where the, it just gets passed on. It begets mm-hmm. the other yeah. and, and it turns so on. That, like ending of uh, blue ruin where he says that this is just going to keep going forever. And, yeah. Uh, or, or Munich or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, this was your first time watching it. And how did you respond to that? That very ending? Where it kind of that uh, takes a tonal shift. I I was like I said I was completely on board it. Um, I, I I thought the 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 image of him looking like an old older man, like which was already starting to happen, like towards that like final leg in the movie anyway. Yeah, um, 
especially like I really notice it in the scene where he sees the the girl again, and it's just like, oh my god, it's like a zombie um, movie all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh man, like, and again, it's just like you're seeing those shades of the like you're you're haunted by the things you've seen. Like already, he's not even out of it, and yet he's haunted by the things he's see- he's seen through this experience. Um, no, I liked I liked that ending. I liked the like going through the past and and uh, being like, well, we can't fix it. I, I immediately thought I don't want to open a whole nother can of worms because I know Eric's a little cool on the movie I'm about to reference. But I, I thought I was like, is Paul Schrader a fan of this movie? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I thought it first yeah. performed a little bit as well. Yeah. At least that yeah. like mid sequence from that movie. Um, so um, but yeah, I I. I don't I like I said, I don't know. I don't have much to add other than because I'm still kind of wrestling with it a little bit um, to to add some fun levity to the conversation overall. Um, you know what other movie this this movie influenced? I feel what it's point break <laughs> the, the running sequences, like the sequences of the camera, like following people yeah. through like villages oh. or through fields like reminded me of the foot chase and point break so that's just, awesome just, just, just <laughs> saying cool. i'm just saying maybe yeah Captain you know when the kid's also a huge a, fan of this movie <laughs> when the kid shot his gun up into the sky and yelled you know <laughs> bigelow was a fan of this movie <laughs> diamond peg just, must be too yeah just thought i'd lighten the mood a little bit uh, you know, i will yeah, too yeah. And, and this is like another geeking out aspect of like this movie has one of the coolest posters I would say of any movie I can think of oh, right yeah. now. Um, it's the one that's stalker. It looks like a Tarkovsky. Poster it does. Almost. It's got that same sort of, yeah, head image to it. And it's like, it's not lit. The movie doesn't look like that. It it looks like it's lit. No. Like yeah, inherent vice poster or the moonlight poster, but like, it's such a stark, beautiful image um, that I just love it. But uh, yeah, beautiful poster. But the movie is uh, sort of visually dynamic in its own way, but not in that sort of lighting scheme. So I, I don't know. But yeah, love that poster, man. Love it. Yeah, it's, it's very realist in the way that it looks. It doesn't, you know, have those touches. But yeah, it is. It is a, it is a beautiful poster. I remember um, seeing it all the time in my in my youth and like video stores. And uh, it was one of those, of course, like the <clears throat> the guy, the guys at the, the video store would be like, this movie's going to fuck you up, man. You should rent it. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time I saw this movie, I was 13 years old. So, <laughs> dude, oh, have God. you guys heard some of the stories about the making of it? Like, yeah, um, there's that's real gunfire. About midway through the movie, a cow gets shot, and there are you can see the bullet flares. It's actually a really beautiful image, but like, uh, Floria is underneath it, and those are, that's real gunfire being shot. And I think that cow was really killed in that scene. It's like, it's disturbing, but yeah, like they have looser laws. Of, definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah. But there's that, then that but, like bog scene that him and the girl swim through. And like, they did that. That's oh, yeah. they, like, that Those looks horrific. And yeah, the, the, so. the kid, the kids, um, uh, after all the horrific stuff that he goes through, like the kid's hair, like gradually turns white. And that was a makeup. The kid actor in the film like just shocked, went through yeah. such hell that he was so shocked by like the filmmaking experience that his hair naturally turned white, and wow. and the director like just decided name. to use it. Alexei Kravchenko is his first performance. He's been in other movies, but that is seriously like one of the great you know, it's one especially of the best he... ever like kid uh, non actor nine actor yeah. performances ever. 
It's incredible, yeah, because he's asked to do so much. I mean, there's a ton of choreography and cinema and all all the other parts in place, but like he has to look at the camera so much in this goddamn movie. Like he needed to be great, and that kid and you just is. See the pain through the yeah. eyes. Just it just oh. like, comes across. Like it's it's incredible. Like the performances overall that he was he managed to get from these kids, as if you know, like eighties. Russia was, a, you know, no picnic, uh, uh, as far as I know, but it wasn't like those kids weren't going through, like, horrific things like that in real life. Yeah. And the way that he was able to, like, put them into that mindset and get those performances out of them is, is incredible. Yeah. And I think, I think you know, technically gifted filmmakers or filmmakers that have done their own stamp on the war film, like, I really did think of Dunkirk, especially on this repeat viewing, because of the way he from a distance will immerse you in the tear of that scene of like, a, a you know, planes going overhead and they have this like demonic quality. That's all in this film. And like, mm -hmm. you see this image of parachuters and they're off in the distance and the way sound creates the feel of like, it's thundering. Um, the first time I saw this movie, I actually got to see it on film and it was mm -hmm. like, I hope, I hope there's new restorations like for that. Just even if it's a beautiful 4k DCP, like this thing needs to be seen in a, a theater. You guys, like oh, I, yeah. I'm sure you obviously, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, you, the influence is like another thing that I have to applaud. Like it, it really runs deep, even though this of all the films I think we're talking about is the most deserving of like that underrated, like, Hey, like this is a film to seek out, you know, because mm -hmm. it's not even a great ton of great versions are out there. Hopefully soon, you know, but like even that, hopefully it's, it's way worth it. Like I would love to see this in a brand new, like kind of HD transfer, but even the like crappy transfer that are, that are available. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's more than wor worth it. Yeah, definitely. It could happen. It could yes. happen. Yeah, well, yeah, please. So. Criterion, somebody. Who's, yeah, whoever's somebody listening. Somebody who's listening. Just, we got a bag to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Just do this. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, there was... Come on, other... Criterion. I'll suck your dick. Oh, no, he no. went there. <laughs> um, I just I'm... watched Menace to Society, too. It's just like right... It's <laughs> like that. Message. Um... <laughs> Anyway, um, do you guys yeah. have any final thoughts on on uh, come and see, or, or is are we at a good spot? We could probably uh, get this, this thing wrapped up. Uh, just watch it. Just fucking watch it. Them, yeah, watch it. don't don't listen to us or anybody saying like how harrowing and how much it's gonna fuck you up or whatever, which it will. But it is, it is one of the greatest uh, war films ever made. Agreed. Like, no joke. So yeah, I guess I guess we could wrap up. Uh, I don't know what number episode this no, is because it's been a while. And <laughs> like you said, who cares? It's fine. Um, you'll you'll see it on the uh, on the link when you download the episode on yeah. on iTunes anyway. Uh, which speaking of which, if you're not subscribed to us on iTunes, you should be. Um, yes. You could subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. We are part of the Playlist Podcast Network, and so you'll get us. You'll get adjust your tracking. You'll get the Playlist Podcast. Um, we whatever you want we got something so um subscribe to us um leave us a comment or rating if you're so inclined uh if, we always if, like if to if you don't subscribe you. we'll we'll make you watch the three-hour director's cut of johnny got his gun oh <laughs> wait that exists no they're more spooky oh, okay. that version. <laughs> the, the yeah, horror just... in ryan's voice it's <laughs> like wait there's more no <laughs> um but yes, so uh, I we also haven't really decided like a round of picks for the next episode. I'm teetering with a couple ideas. Um, 
but nothing's set in stone. Uh, I was going to do potentially, I might say this for Halloween. Uh, I was going to do a Norman J. Warren double feature. Uh, cool. Two of his movies just came out uh, courtesy of vinegar syndrome recently, uh, prey and terror. Um, and I really want to talk about prey, but I might hold off for that to uh, yeah. for the Halloween episodes. We'll the Halloween so that sounds fun. Episode. Not so seen we'll see. either. So yeah, man, they're worth seeking out prey, especially, um, but I think they'd be a good pair to, to watch. Cool. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll wing it. But we're we're hoping to make this more. Uh, you know, get back to doing this semi regularly. Yeah. Um, it's great. I love getting back on mic with you guys. So this is this yeah, has yeah. been a good time. Yeah, even if it's um, just the regular playlist podcast and we just talk about movies, it's all worth it. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about something. Whatever, like whatever we want to. We we have a forum to do it. We're yep. we're fortunate in that way. And we're just going to roll with it. Um, so I guess before we all sign off, um, Octay, where can we find more of your work? Uh, so apart from the Over Under Movies podcast and the Playlist podcast, you can uh, find uh, a lot of my work on PaceMagazine.com, the movie section. I'm a staff writer there. And uh, I occasionally write for Thrillist. Uh, so you can check out the Thrillist entertainment section and find some of my work and uh, also DVD talk and BayasParty.com. And what about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, you can find me. I'm the co-host of Adjust Your Tracking, the aforementioned uh, part of the Playlist Podcast Network. We have a, you can always find me there at theplaylist.net. Uh, we have a new podcast that is out on the feed but hasn't been posted yet on the site. Uh, a new one this week for Support the Girls, the Andrew Bajalski movie, and the uh, Danny McBride starring thriller comedy Arizona. So look out for that on the feed. It's there now. And uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter if you like at Adjust Your Track. And you could find me uh, here at the playlist uh, on Over Under Movies on the Playlist podcast. Um, also, to plug our most recent episode, we did uh, we just did a massive fall preview episode. Um, Can't that wait dropped to hear that. This morning. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we talked. Um, I mean, we basically just said what movies we're most excited about the rest of the fall. Um, talked about a couple movies in uh, at length sorry i can't mm -hmm. talk uh, <laughs> at a long length uh specifically suspiria on my end but uh nice. you'll have to listen to the episode and um and you can follow me on twitter at ryolli 90 that's r-y-o-l-l-i-e 90 um so yeah. yes nice so yeah. so it looks like uh this version of suspiria looks like it actually has a screenplay huh guys oh uh, Oh, it looks awesome. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm surprised good. that, it looks that good. I'll, I'll give it a remake of Suspiria it, looks fucking cool. So yeah, it looks awesome. And also fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I yeah. love you, man. So let's, yeah, I, uh, you too, dude. <laughs> I think it's a good time to let's, sign let's, off. Let's all spoon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's do it. <laughs> I got right. rope arms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for listening and uh, we'll catch you on a episode hopefully real soon. Thank you.